0: It's time for Talking Michigan Transportation, a podcast devoted to the conversations with people at the forefront of the ongoing mobility revolution. In the state that put the world on wheels, here's your host, MDOT Communications Director, Jeff Cranston.
1: Hi, once again, this is the Talking Michigan Transportation podcast, and I'm pleased to have with me today, Lloyd Brown, who is the Director of Communications for ASHTO, which is the American Association of State Highway Transportation Officials. And Lloyd and his people at Ashto have been watching very closely as these discussions have unfolded about, you know, whether a uh, next round of stimulus coming out of the COVID-19 outbreak should go for roads and bridges and transportation infrastructure. Um, there's been a lot of ups and downs in this. So, Lloyd, without uh, making you pretty much on the spot about that, uh, what's your best intel right now as to what might happen?
2: Well, it's, there, are, there are a lot of people talking about it, a lot of people working on it, that's for sure. Uh, at Ashto, uh, in early April, we sent over a letter to the leadership in both houses and asked that they include $50 billion for state departments of transportation, uh, because there's been such a dramatic drop in the, uh, Sales of cars and and vehicle miles driven, so the use of gasoline and many other ways in which transportation investments are uh, generate revenue for investments. And, and states are really really hurting right now. Um, so that was our that was our ask. And since since that time, there was uh, there was a another round of the of the stimulus that came out COVID relief uh, that did not include relief for state doTs uh, we're hoping that this next one does
1: there was some money for other modes in there right
2: well the the, the first cares Act had money for public transportation and by all accounts public transportation has really been decimated uh, the, the the few systems that continue to run uh, the major systems that continue to run are running with the uh, with really low rates of ridership in Washington, DC, it's, it's, uh, it's the pictures of empty trains. It's just amazing to see, uh, when, you know, say for instance, at Ashto, 73% of our, 74% of our employees ride public transportation to the office every day. It's it's heavily used and, and, and the city is heavily dependent on the local subway and, and train system. So, uh, Watching COVID and what the, the lockdown, the shutdown, stay at home orders come into place. Transit was just hit really, really hard. And you and your but
1: colleagues are all working from home, right?
2: We are. We are. We're all working from home and, and, uh, and, and that, that's part of it too. There's some question about, and this is for state DOTs and public transportation, uh, as we see states come back online and start to loosen up some of the restrictions and, uh, There's some serious questions about, are we going to see the kinds of congestion that we saw before? Are people going to find that working from home actually was okay and that uh, the workplace as we know it um, is, is changed forever? So lots of questions about that in the long term. And that sets us up for, you know, the, the 50 billion ask was, was really to help state DOTs their loss of revenue over the the last couple of months and looking forward to the next 18 months. So basically through the end of the next federal fiscal year. Um, But what we're running into is there's also the current federal authorization, the FAST Act that expires at the end of September, 2020. So in just a few months and as you can imagine, at the, at the state and local levels, the dramatic drop in revenue for transportation is also happening at the federal level. So the Federal Highway Trust Fund that supports the federal program that states all share in, uh, that's looking like it's in dire straits as well uh, as soon as maybe the end of this year.
1: So, you know, to recap, you know this, but just so the listeners do, you know, the revenues for the Highway Trust Fund have languished. Um, last increased the gas tax in 1993 wasn't indexed to inflation. Inflation has increased 77% since then. Uh, the inflation adjusted cost of gasoline today is about where it was 50 years ago. So, you know, I think uh, it was Bernard Weinstein, scholar, argued in a Hill uh, op-ed recently that now is the time to do something. And coincidentally, he mentioned uh, twenty-five cents per gallon at the federal level, and that's what the U.S. Chamber has been arguing for. Um, I don't know. What do you make of that argument? That now is a good time because fuel prices are so low that uh, you know let's let's do something right now.
2: We argued the same thing back in the late uh, two thousand. The you know the ops or whatever we call that decade uh, when <laughs> well, we well, you're a baseball fan,
1: so you call it the Ots.
2: The odds, right? Yeah. Um, but that was, that was one of the things that we really looked for at that time because, as you remember, the, 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 a barrel of oil was you know, $20 a barrel and, and uh, you know, gas prices were way down. The administration at the time and, and congressional officials said, no, we're not, we're not going to raise gas taxes. We're going to stimulate the economy in other ways. But what's really set up is that it's requiring greater and greater contributions from the general fund to support our federal transportation program. And that's really leading us into a situation where it's taking money away from uh, other services, other services that people need from the federal government. So uh, at some point, we're going to be faced with this challenge of we're not going to be able to support our federal program any longer at the rate that we are. So we're either going to have to severely cut back and live within our means or – figure out another way to fund it.
1: Well, long before, you know, I came to work for a department of transportation and, and became steeped in, in, you know, uh, studying funding and this kind of policy, you know, I had taken an interest in this even as a lowly scribe. And I've off, off, philosophically, I believe that transportation should be user fee funded. You know, that should be the model. That's just good public policy. And, uh, and that's been what we've done as a country for the most part in and, and most states for, you know, since the advent of the automobile. Um, and so now to, to get to that point, like so many states have and the federal government have, where the general fund has to subsidize that, that just that sets off a whole chain reaction for all kinds of other programs and other things.
2: Yeah, that, that's right. That's right. But so there's this uh, there's this uh, a tension between the urgent need, the short term need where states have just seen dramatic drops in their revenue, and then there's this uh, longer-term need to reauthorize the federal program and shore up the highway trust fund, the federal highway trust fund going forward. And the reason that's important is because there's a lot of conversation in D.C. on Capitol Hill about investment in infrastructure, and 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 you have to kind of separate those two things, this idea of a backstop or fill the gap or, you know, emergency relief for states and state DOTs versus the longer term discussion about what are we going to do with reauthorization and how are we going to pay for transportation and infrastructure going forward?
1: So Peter DeFazio, who is a very, very smart and uh, entertaining chairman of uh, House Transportation, from Democrat from Oregon, has You know, equated this to a, to a new deal type crisis and that we've got to do those kinds of big things. We've got to make those investments now that both put people to work in the short term and the long term and pay big dividends for future generations. You know, kind of his version of a crisis is a terrible thing to waste. So, you know, do you see any appetite for that uh, on the Republican side?
2: Well, we haven't seen that appetite on the Republican side. And there's a, there's a reality of being at the end of the line for funding when we're when we're asking for help you know the initial the, the initial ask seemed really generous and then the follow-up was to to, I mean the, the initial cares act seemed generous and then the follow-up uh, came after the reality that what they were giving for small businesses really hadn't hadn't hit and they needed to shore up that fund uh, it, you know being at the end of the line there there's there's less and less interest in wanting to uh, uh, spend the money at the federal level. So, um, well, that's you know, would just kind been... of the
1: problem overall, isn't it? That that you know, there's nothing more important than, than roads. I mean, from the minute we leave our house until the minute we get home, we need transportation systems to, to function. Yet, there's nothing really
2: sexy about them. Well, no, n- unless you're unless you're uh, in a new car commercial, and you know, th- l- th- those roads are beautiful, right? And, uh... They're all part of the mystique of it. But, you know, the reality is that that uh, whenever it comes to questions of investment in infrastructure or any other program, uh, you want to try and be at the front of the line and not end up at the end of the line. And so, you know, at this point, um, there's not a great there's not a great appetite. And on the on, on the Republican side, for sure um there's been some discussion i think on the on the house side with the democratic leadership that uh they would like to use the infrastructure program in the federal the federal transportation infrastructure program and use that to begin to address some of their climate change and uh, priorities in transportation and so there's there's maybe some potential there the proposal that came out earlier this year in January, maybe early February, uh, had some of that programmatic uh, ask force. in, about in the their proposal
1: plan. Came out in late the Democratic yeah, plan came yeah, out late. Yeah, January, yeah, yeah, yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. And it was almost
1: eight hundred, eight hundred billion, wasn't it?
2: There was a, yeah, and it would have it would have uh, dramatically increased spending in, uh, from the Highway Trust Fund, and and uh, they were working out ways to come up with that kind of revenue. But uh, that would be the starting point for the House side. Um, the, the Senate side was, uh, the EPW actually passed a bill and, and, uh, had sent it over, sent it off to the floor, um, or or not to the floor, but it had passed the bill and it was waiting to be put together with the, the other portions of the transportation. Um, but theirs was much more in line with kind of continuing the themes and continuing the programs of the, of the current FAST Act. So, um.
1: Well, didn't you guys didn't you name your organization to begin with double A so that you could be at the front of the line? We
2: we probably did. I'm not sure. That was 1914, so that was a little before my time.
1: Wow, I didn't realize it went back that far. Well, I guess right now the the best we're hoping for is this talk about 50 billion dollars. I know that uh, Mdot wrote a letter to our congressional delegation, you know, urging them to support at least that. Could you talk a little bit about what that would do?
2: Yeah, we we start putting the story together around the country, and we're talking in generalities, but when you really listen to state leaders in Washington State, they're talking about losing $100 million a month in revenue. Uh, That program, you know, is just not sustainable without some kind of uh, investment. And you know, similar types of stories in North Carolina—they're—they're—they're they're, they're telling the same story. They're without some sort of uh, urgent backstop. The line in the newspaper the other day was, uh, "They're going to—they're going to close up and go home and keep just only their barest essential uh, people on the job to keep people safe, but uh, everything else is going to shut down." Missouri's in a similar sort of situation. Now, there's a handful of states that that are saying. You know, we're we're probably good if everything starts back up, but for the most part, uh, we did a our association did a survey of state DOTS earlier this month and uh, or I'm sorry, back in April, and uh, you know the states are states are really really hurting. So that's what this uh, the fifty billion dollar ask is based on a thirty percent reduction in in revenue. Averaged out across all the states and and applied over the next eighteen months.
1: And would probably go through the traditional formula in terms of how it would be dispersed. The,
2: there is some discussion on that. Absolutely, uh, you know, there there it, the traditional formula seems to work. I mean, it, it maybe isn't the most perfect way, but it is. It's uh, it has served its purpose over the last. Uh, you know, 25 years or so since it was last updated.
1: You know, the states have had a little bit of practice with this, with the various uh, government shutdowns or, you know, coming to the brink of government shutdowns the past several years. Um, and, you know, that's probably made a lot of people, I know it has them MDOT, really look at uh, how they manage that, that cash flow so that they can be prepared if any given day Congress fails to uh, reach an agreement and for, you know, a few months at a time federal funds stop flowing and we still got to, you know, keep the program going. So that, that, I mean, that, that's, that's by no means the kinds of crisis we're talking about here, but it at least uh, should have put that on people's radar. Uh,
2: yeah. And, uh, you know, when you look at, at the percent of federal, pro- when you look at a state DOT and say, okay, how much of your overall program is supported by the federal government? A state like Washington is somewhere around 20%. I mean, it changes year to year, but you know, it's, it's not the, the largest portion of the program. Other states, the federal, uh, the federal share is quite large. And so when you see that, uh, the federal program is a, is in jeopardy or there's short-term extensions, there's really a lack of, of, um, certainty in the program. Then you start to have state DOTs begin to delay projects or not move forward with large projects for fear that they'll be in a contract situation where they can't, they can't pay for what they, what they're doing. So uh, that begins to hit the contracting community real hard, the engineering community that, that is involved in uh, helping state DOTs deliver the program. So there's a trickle down that comes from all of this. One of the reasons why Congressman DeFazio and others that the, you know look at infrastructure as a great stimulus is because there's so many ways that small businesses uh, participate in the program there's so many ways that uh, other industries beyond just state employees participate in keeping our infrastructure in tip top shape and safe so uh, it there there's a there is a great contributor to jobs when you are investing in infrastructure that goes beyond the state inspector who is watching the asphalt go down.
1: No, absolutely, uh, yeah. I mean, it's it's trickle down. It creates it creates jobs in the short term, and the long term. It's uh, within the industry that builds the roads and within the, the communities where roads are being built. And and again, long term for our posterity. You know, when you think about what we're leaving for the next generations, um, I, I, I think that DeFazio's uh, you know, metaphor of the New Deal is is on point. I, I think that this is the time to, to make those investments. But uh, you know, that's because I probably you know do what I do.
2: Well, we've we're sitting here in in uh, suburban Maryland, just outside of the Beltway, and my wife and I filled up the tank of gas in our in our SUV in March. Yeah, and we haven't we haven't had to fill up the gas tank. Again, you know, this is a vehicle that gets, you know, 25 miles a gallon. It's a Chevrolet. It's not, you know, it's not fancy in any way, but, you know, it's not a huge, uh, you know, it doesn't get high mileage or any of that. It's just a regular old car. We filled it up in March and we're still at just over a quarter of a tank in, in the vehicle. Yeah, exactly. So, that one, that is one example. And when we filled it up, we were, you know, the gas the price of gas was around two fifty, 50 And I was thinking, this is, a, I can't believe gasoline is this inexpensive in yeah. this area. Yeah. Well, I, I went out this morning to run an errand and I looked at, and it was sitting right about $2.05 yeah. uh, for a gallon. I, I don't know about you, Jeff, but I started driving back in, in the, you know, the late 80s. And uh, we would have been excited to have gasoline around 205, somewhere around the early 90s. Well, you know? exactly.
1: And then and, and traffic volumes are down in Michigan, you know, about 50% uh, since mid-March. And I, I'm sure it's probably similar in Maryland, um, the other states. So that, that, I mean, we haven't seen treasury receipts yet for those weeks. But, you know, we can extrapolate that if miles driven are down that much, that uh, the, the revenue from fuel taxes is going to be down that much too. And, and you right. mentioned car sales, which... You know, that's a double whammy in Michigan because it's still the auto state. And on top of that, we need uh, people buying new cars and, and registering new cars because those are important parts of transportation revenue, too. Anyway, lots more to discuss here. Um, in a few minutes, I'm going to talk to Patrick McCarthy. He's our finance director about our bonding plan and what's going to end up happening with that. I know you guys are watching that as you are some other states that are looking at uh, selling bonds. The MTA, as you probably know, in New York is... Uh, still looking at doing, you know, bonding for the transit system and watching that closely to see when they finally go to market. But anyway, Lloyd, thanks for taking time to, to do this. I appreciate it.
2: It's my pleasure. Thanks for, thanks for having me on, Jeff.
1: Okay, we're back with the second segment of Talking Michigan Transportation. And this week, I'm pleased to have Patrick McCarthy, uh, a repeat visitor to the podcast. He is the director of the Bureau of Finance. At MDOT and has been heavily involved in looking at the governor's rebuilding Michigan plan and the the bonding component that is, you know, pretty important to rebuilding the roads and the bridges uh, as planned and as authorized by the State Transportation Commission earlier this year. Patrick, uh, thanks for coming on. Could you talk real briefly about where you think we're at with the potential of selling some of these bonds this year?
0: Sure. Uh, thanks, Jeff, for having me back on the on the podcast. I appreciate that. Um, right now, as everybody knows, uh, there's a lot of uncertainty with the revenue streams for transportation. Um, because of the, the stay home, stay safe orders, um, we've seen significant drops in fuel consumption, which is directly tied to the fuel taxes that the department receives, as well as the vehicle registrations that our um, partners at Secretary of State are um, currently closed or have just limited access. So it's harder to do title transfers and purchase new vehicles. Um, so we're seeing um, declines in registration uh, revenues as well. Um, however, the, the $3.5 billion program that was announced by the governor and that was approved by the commission is still on schedule right now. Um, we anticipate issuing those bonds over the next four years, which is what the um, commission's authorization allowed. And we're currently in the process of um, analyzing when we're going to need the um, bonded revenue to support the construction projects that were um, that were identified in that list of 49 projects that went to the Commission.
1: So how is it that you know we're able to go ahead, for instance, you know, the I-496 project, uh, complete rebuild, the Eaton County portion, kicked off uh, last month and is is moving along, uh, progressing. It was slowed a little bit because of the pandemic and uh, concerns among the contractors about some of their workforce. But, you know, it's, it's proceeding, and we haven't sold those bonds yet. So can you explain how it is that we can do that and list that as one of the Rebuilding Michigan projects?
0: Um, Sure. Yes. First of all, the 496 project was one of the um, 49 projects in the list for the Rebuilding Michigan Bond program. Um, We are utilizing existing um, cash resources that we have within the department to begin some of the work on on that project um, with the intent of, of reimbursing the department when we actually go to the market and issue the bonds this year and bring bring in the bond proceeds. Uh, this is not a new um, tool that we've used in several of the past bond issuances that we've done through several different administrations. Um, we accelerated some of the work by by essentially um, borrowing the money from from ourselves with the intent of reimbursing it when when the bonds are issued.
1: Okay, so you say that that's, that's not that uncommon. Um, it's kind of comparable to what we're doing with some other projects that are part of the Rebuilding Michigan plan but aren't necessarily bonded projects that, uh, because of the bond revenue makes some other program funds available, uh, we're able to add in some of those other projects. Is that a fair way to characterize it?
0: Yes, that allows us to, um, to accelerate the other list of projects that were, um, essentially the backfill from selecting those 49 projects to fund with the bond proceeds. Yeah.
1: That's why if you go on the website to look at the, the rebuilding Michigan plan overall, you'll see that, that distinction between bond projects and accelerated projects. So, you know, I know you don't have a crystal ball, uh, but, what what would you say you're you're waiting for right now and and the bond council that you're working with is is you know waiting for a sweet spot to jump in
0: i guess right now the um really what we're waiting for we're in the process right now of um developing a shortlisted team of underwriters that we will work with over the next five years for any of our bond issuance needs, whether it's in the trunk line or CTF um, um, or even Federal Garvey's if we chose to go that route. It's not a specific team of underwriters for the Rebuilding Michigan program, but it is a team that we would use um for any of our um new money issuances or any refunding opportunities over the next five years. So we're working on that right now. Um, and then from that shortlisted team of underwriters, we would select an actual um senior manager and co-managers to issue any new money um new money deals for the Rebuilding Michigan program. Um, in addition to that the list of 49 projects, um, the the way that we have those scheduled to deliver those construction projects, there were only a few of those projects that were scheduled to start in fiscal year 20. Um, the rest of the projects we are, we're working on um, preliminary engineering or design work for those projects. And then that construction will start in, um, in 21 or 22 or 23. So, um, there's not a, a need from a cash flow perspective to bond, um, probably before this summer or early fall.
1: Well, good. Well, that's, that's helpful. Uh, we'll obviously be talking more and, uh, be taking a close look at this all the way through. And we're going to keep our eyes. I mean, we always watch the revenue estimating conference, but this year I think we're going to all be extra, extra careful and vigilant about looking at what they do. I
0: think the other part to that is we're, we're, um, interested in seeing what kind of, um, federal assistance might be made available to the states to, to help with the infrastructure needs. Um, you know, we've got some, some nationwide, um, support to try to, to try to get Washington to do a stimulus type package or a CARES type program for the road and bridge industry similar to the assistance that they've provided for uh, airports and public transportation
1: well yeah and the president in the past had, had said that he really wanted to do that and you know lloyd and i earlier talked about uh, peter defazio the democratic chairman of the house transportation committee from oregon and his his uh, equating this whole thing to the new deal and the need to uh, seize this opportunity to invest to put people to work in the short term and long term and to you know, offer better roads and bridges for our posterity. So, you know, hopefully that uh, sure, you, that argument catches on.
0: Right. The You know, the, the transportation program directly stimulates the economy and keeps people working in these difficult times.
1: Yeah. Well, thanks, Patrick. I'm uh, sure we'll be talking more.
0: Okay, thank
1: you, Jeff. Thanks again for listening to this week's edition of Talking Michigan Transportation, and I want to give a special thanks to Corey Petey, who uh, does the sound engineering for the podcast, and to Sarah Martin uh, of MDOT, who does the show's intro and closing. That's a wrap for this edition of Talking Michigan Transportation. Check out show notes and more on SoundCloud or by subscribing on Apple Podcasts.